Welcome to Chasing That Neon Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pope. Join me on each episode as I interview session players, songwriters, sidemen, and women. People with great stories about the music and musicians that so many of us still love. Alright, let's get to it. Today's guest is one of my favorite guys in Nashville. He's an accomplished songwriter who has co-written number one country songs, Two Pina Coladas for Garth Brooks, How Long Gone You Gonna Be for Brooks and Dunn, River of Love for King George Strait, and Josh Turner's, one of my favorites, Would You Go With Me? Also, he wrote Don't Go Lovin' On Nobody But Me for Blake Sheldon. Along with being a hit songwriter, he's a very talented multi-instrumentalist who's played as a touring and recording musician with so many artists. Jerry Reed, Trisha Yearwood, Alan Jackson, Osborne Brothers, Guy Clark, John Prine. Do you hear that list? That's insane. Sean is also a great producer. He co-produced and won a Grammy for Folk Album of the Year back in 2013. It was for Guy Clark's My Favorite Picture of You record. Also, recently, he produced American Idol finalist Lauren Massetti's debut album called God Made Woman. If you haven't heard that record, you're missing out. It's fantastic. We're going to be talking about a bunch of this stuff. But before we get into it, I want to mention Sean's band is so hot. I'm telling you. You're going to hear me gush in this interview when we get to talking about it because they just play my favorite kind of country music. In his band, I'm going to shout these guys out. You have Mike Bubb on bass, Larry Adamenu on drums, I've seen Jimmy Stewart on dobro, Pete Wassner on keys, and Guthie Trapp picking the fire out of that electric guitar. All these guys are world-class musicians and very accomplished. It would take me forever to go through their resumes. And when they join the stage with Sean Camp, who's singing playing guitar, and even fiddle sometimes. Then Lauren Massetti comes up and sings with them. Lord, you ain't gonna find a stage with that much talent on it anywhere in the world. And this is usually happening on a Monday night or a Thursday night at a couple different bars in town here in Nashville. Third in Lindsley, Station Inn, down at the Gulch. This is why I love Music City. Sean's also a member of one of my favorite bluegrass bands, Earls of Leicester, where he's the lead singer. They pay tribute to the music of Flat and Scruggs. It's an all-acoustic band, and it consists of legendary bluegrass musicians Jerry Douglas, Jeff White, Daniel Kimbrough, Charlie Cushman, and Johnny Warren. And if that ain't enough, Sean's also been a member of the world-famous Headliners, an all-star band made up of Camp and veteran writers Big Al Anderson and Pat McLaughlin, along with Michael Rhodes and Greg Morrow. He is way too humble to tell y'all all this stuff, but I wanted to set the table for this conversation. I sure hope you enjoy it. Here's Sean Camp. Hey, man, I'm doing good. Uh, thank you for doing this. Oh, man, I'm, I'm glad to be doing it with you. So uh, what, what, year did you, what year did you move to Nashville? Well, I moved to Nashville um, January the 13th of 1987. And uh, I had been playing in local, well, in bluegrass bands over in Arkansas and Oklahoma and, and old uh, VFWs and little country bands and yeah. American Legion halls and stuff, you know. And But uh, <clears throat> at the time, I was playing with a, with a guy named Freddie Sanders and Signal Mountain Bluegrass Band out of McAllister, Oklahoma. And he had, he, he ran a big festival in, in McAllister. 
a big bluegrass festival, and he he had hired the Osborne brothers to come play his his show there. You know, yeah. And, uh, their their fiddle player Blaine Sprouse was <clears throat> was going to law school, and he was about to quit the band. So they were kind of looking for a replacement for Blaine. And uh, uh, my dad is a retired iron worker, and at the time. Um, he would boom out to different states, you know. I mean, all my childhood, we would live all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Daddy just happened to get a get a job in Nashville um, in the winter, or like in let's see, on January of uh, of eighty seven for for about a month. He had a job over here. Oh wow! So so the, me and mom and daddy, all three, came over here in January and I started with the Osborne brothers, um, a month later on the Grand Ole Opry was my first show with them playing fiddle for them. Oh my uh, goodness. That's how I really got going over here, you know? Wow. So you, that sounds like that. sounds like you took a page out of Marty Stewart's story there. (laughs) Well, I was, I was 20 years old and, uh, uh, my folks stayed over here for a month and uh, so we kind of set up house in a little apartment, and uh, and then they left and went back to Arkansas. And we we always had a kept a, a home in Arkansas, you know. Right. So uh, <clears throat> so they left me here to fend for myself after that, and I lasted <laughs> about six months with them. And uh, um, then I went to work with uh, uh, several different other bands, you know, little house gigs and honky tonks around Nashville. And, just setting in, you know, and yeah. I worked with, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of different folks, but, uh, I saw, uh, caught my interest. I saw, uh, did you, did you happen to play with Jerry Reed for a while? I did. I actually, uh, uh, I was actually hired to play with Tom T. Hall, playing fiddle with Tom T. Hall. He didn't have a lot of dates at the time. Jerry Reed didn't have a lot of dates. Yeah, and um, so I thought for a little while that I could work for both of those guys, you know, uh, for this stretch of time because, you know, at the time I was starving to death, you know. I mean, I uh, I would take a, a day job, a temporary service job, or whatever in between music jobs and just right. to try to pay the bills. So uh, I think Tom T. Hall got wind that I was also working for Jerry Reed, and he fired me before no. I ever played with him. No. I, didn't even, I didn't even see him during that. He hired me for like two weeks, and I rehearsed with his fiddle player. And uh, so then I'm working with Jerry Reed, and uh, and I <laughs> I worked with him for just a couple of months, and uh, and Alan Jackson started calling me to play with him. And uh, oh my gosh! And so I had all that going on same year you know and uh, uh uh i ended up going with with alan jackson you know i should have stayed with jerry reed though i'll just tell you the truth because jerry reed uh he was i was learning so much man that, that guy was a musician's musician for sure and um oh yeah he was just the greatest and uh, uh i only worked with him briefly but what what a great experience i got i've got a buddy uh you probably you might know him rick mcclure drummer I sure do, yeah and and he he talks about a tour he went on and played for jerry with 
it, it was Jerry and Bill Monroe together on a tour. Wow. And, and they would take turns closing out the show. One would open for the other, depend, you know, just take turns each night. And, That's and it, great. And at the end, they both came out and did a song together. And I honestly, I can't even imagine this. To be honest with you, I, I can't even I imagine those two on stage together. That's crazy. Yeah. But you know, that must have been uh, maybe a dream of Jerry Reed's, or it wouldn't have happened, you know, because yeah. uh, I'm sure that Jerry Reed loved listening to Bill Monroe on the Grand Ole Opry as a kid, you know, right. coming up when he did. And, yeah. Um, well, I don't think it was Bill Monroe's dream, probably. But yeah, probably not. <laughs> but I know, I, you know, they did. Rick told me he said you you could tell that that Bill got it with Jerry. Like he had so much respect for Jerry Reed's musicianship. Like you said, just yeah. the level of musician he was, and the way he paid respect to to you know the big mun up there. You know, and it was just a is a sight to see, according to Rick. And I just think, man. That, that would have been a great documentary right there to send some cameras on that one. Well, let me tell you my, my little story about Bill while we're here. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Bill Monroe was, uh, was in the process of changing band members. He was about to lose, it, or lose his fiddle player and his guitar player, the lead singer. So, mm. uh, actually, uh, I went over there was, oh, right after the Osborne Brothers show or job I had. Uh, Bill Monroe was was going to be hiring a fiddler and a and a lead singer, and uh, so wow. I go to Bill's house to audition. I called him up and uh, I said, I, "I hear you're you're uh, going to be hiring a fiddler and a and a and a guitar man." And, yes, sir, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, "Well, I'd sure love to try out for you if if I could. Uh, why don't you just come on out here to the house then? You know." Yeah. <laughs> so, so I go out there and and I go to Bill's house and, and I'm you know nervous wrecked in awe of Bill Monroe. I oh, grew yeah. up listening to his records. You know my my granddaddy's favorite artist was Bill Monroe, and uh, so uh, from little on, Bill Monroe was a god to me. You know, and right. so uh, we go into his house. This, he had like this old log cabin that I mean it was really old. You could just it felt like it was. 200 year old cabin and it was just me and bill monroe oh my and, uh, gosh and i i've I wished a million times that i'd have had a recorder going because uh i played a couple of fiddle tunes with him you know and uh uh and, I, and he said get your guitar and uh so i get my <laughs> guitar out and uh, i sang uh, uh he said what would you like to sing and i said uh how about the old crossroads and we did the old crossroads and uh, wow. my hair was standing up. Just me and him did a duet with with Bill and his mandolin and me and my guitar. Good and, Lord. Uh, uh, and we got done with that. And he said, "That's that's fine. That's fine." Now, what <laughs> what do you uh, uh, what do you what do you want to do now? And I said, "How about the Florida Sunshine?" And he said, "Oh, that's a powerful number right there." You know. <laughs> so we got into that. And we sang that. And uh, all these time, I, I had had I had friends that had been Bill, uh, Bill's bluegrass boys in the past and he was notorious for working his bluegrass boys to death on that farm oh know? yeah yeah <laughs> and so uh i got ready to pack up you know and and uh, and 
I, I had a little red Mazda pickup, you know, with a camper on it, and he he walked out and helped me back this truck up. And he said, "You can just back that back that up there, right here, turn it around." He said, oh, "That's a good, that's a fine looking wagon you've got there, boy." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, thank you, sir, thank you. And he kind of leaned down in the window, and, and over his shoulder was this old rickety fence line that was, just looked awful back behind him, you know? Yeah. And uh, and he said, uh, now a man needs to know what he wants to do. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I said, uh, that's right. And somehow or another, I just like, I just said, well, I enjoyed it. Take care. And I left. And, I, and, and in hindsight, I know that, he, you know, he was asking me what I wanted to do, if I wanted to play a guitar or fiddle. But I started thinking in that, in the, on the, at that moment about getting out there in the heat of the Tennessee sun, man, working on that fence line with Bill Monroe at 20, 20 years old. Yeah. I just did not want to go to work on that fence line you yeah. know so <laughs> <laughs> well I was waiting for you to, to say he, he finally looked at you and said now how do them post hole diggers fit your hands boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, what I should have said was uh, uh, I just want to be a bluegrass boy Mr. I, Monroe and, oh, I, and I was then in there you know but I did oh uh, man well so, I tell you uh, what that, that experience that, is just unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> wow what could have been there I know it man I would have he would have been hard. I was hard on all of his fiddlers, you know. But I would have learned a lot. He was, uh, he knew it, man. He wrote it. For well, second, yeah. Know? I mean, absolutely. Well, you do a pretty good bill. I've never heard you do bill, but I, I mean, you do a great Lester, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but your bill is spot on too. No, that's pretty good, man. Oh man, thank you. I don't know. I, uh, I just loved him, you know. That's the thing. I guess I loved all those guys. All, all of the. Uh, all of the great ones in my mind, you know, they, they were in very identifiable, you know, individuals. Right. And uh, so uh, Monroe for sure. Yeah. Was power, powerful well, guy. So you're you came you came here and you're you're playing you're 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 playing in all with all these different guys and these different groups and audition and, and at what point did you start thinking, you know, about being an artist and how did that transition happen? Well, um, <clears throat> uh, I just, you know, I think write, writing songs is really what uh, opened that that pathway for me because at that time, my voice had just changed. When I first moved to Nashville, I wasn't much of a singer. Not that I am now, but I mean, uh, I really didn't. I mean, after my voice started changing, I, I didn't sing for, for years. I just played fiddle and guitar and mandolin and stuff, you know. And, yeah. Um, so, um, uh, when I started writing songs, uh, I, I had to sing them. So that, it just, it just kind of morphed into me doing my own songs, you know? Yeah. Oh man. Well, I, I tell you the first time I ever, first time I ever saw you, it was probably over a decade ago at Bluebird. And I had been, I'd been going and seeing, you know, songwriter rounds and stuff. But my thing was, I loved the... I loved the '90s country sound, but I loved all the I loved Elvis and Johnny Cash and all them guys. Like that's that's really what yeah. I grew up. I kind of grew up around my grandparents a lot, and and just really going through their records. And so when I came to town, it yeah, it was just nothing like that on the radio right. or nothing. And and I go down. Somebody suggested I go see you. I went down and 
there's a band up there. I'm like, okay, cool, at Bluebird, there's a band, all right. You know, I wasn't aware that that happened right there on that little stage. And, yeah. and man, y'all took off into Hotwired. Uh-huh. And I thought, I, I just remember sitting there going, I feel like Elvis just walked out and started C.C. Ryder, and yet at the same time I feel like it's Johnny Cash and, and Folsom singing Folsom like the opening number, I just felt like it was all of that at once with oh, a little bluegrass, but yet you had this honky-tonk sound as like a Telecaster. I, I, I think that's what it was at the time, just rocking along with you that got that 90s sound. I mean, everything about it, I was like, that dude, I don't, that dude is an artist. Like that was, and I knew you were a writer, you know, and all that, but when I saw that, I just knew, so, you know, you're talking about your your voice or much of a singer or whatever. Man, all I can tell you is is that presence and that band and that energy in your show. You're a showman, man. So I, I, I oh. can uh, just, ar- I'll argue with you a little bit on your voice there. But, um, Thank you, Adam. So, I appreciate that, man. So you go back now. Now, I showed up, I mean, it's the, the late 2000s at this point. But if you go back to the early 90s, now you're starting to write more, you said. Now, what what... If you don't mind, what kind of got you? Were you already writing songs on your own, or did you come here and just kind of end up just that was the culture of the town, and you just jumped in? Well, you know, it kind of was. I, 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 I'd written little little snippets of songs, but I never finished them really uh, since the time I was just an early teenager, you know. And uh, But I, I would never let anybody hear them or anything. But um, for some reason... Um, the first co-write I ever did in Nashville was at Mel Tillis's publishing company, uh, and it was the old Pete Drake studio building. Oh wow! Where Mel was, and it was with a guy named Dennis Adkins, who was just a super guy. We ended up being friends, and and uh, he said, "Why don't you come by and write a song with me?" You know, and and at the time I wasn't, I never even considered myself a songwriter, you know, but I went over there. And we wrote a song, which I kind of had a good part of it started, but I didn't, I didn't realize it, you know, I, yeah. he helped me flesh it out. And, uh, we went up to the attic and this guy named Matt Lindsay was working for Mel Tillis, who, uh, he, he ran this reel to reel tape recorder and recorded our work tape for the day on seven and a half, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, reel to reel, you know, yeah. and, uh, so uh, they liked the song at Mel's company, and uh, and and we wrote another one soon after, like a, a couple of weeks later, maybe you know. And yeah. I found myself at the at the Bluebird Bar, sitting there beside this guy in the middle of the night, uh, and we strike up a conversation, you know, and uh, and uh, he says. You know, that's my dad up on the wall over here. And as I look up, it's Roger Miller. Well, it's Dean Miller's, was who it was. I was sitting with Dean Miller. And he said, what do you do? I said, well, I don't know, man. I, I guess maybe I'm a songwriter. I didn't even know, you know. And it's like, <laughs> so we kind of pal around and hit it off. And we end up going, sitting on my tailgate on 16th Avenue in front of Belmont College. I had a little apartment there at 1624. Oh, wow. And uh, we sat out there in the middle of the night with no one around on a, like a Sunday night, no traffic or anything. 
with our guitars and wrote our first song together. And me and Dean wrote about 40 or 50 songs together on a run there. Just So we learned to write, really, with each other, you know, wow. Roger Miller's son. And, oh, my goodness. Uh, so Dean, uh, he's still making records and, you know, and writing songs. But, uh, yeah. but we kind of kind of learned how to co-write with each other, really. Well, I was going to tell you that you got a song um, on, a, on an album called Drank. Of course, you know oh, this. Yeah. But I, it, it made it, you, uh, you've got some Roger Miller going on when you're singing that song. I love it. I don't know if you oh, did that on purpose or whatever. I, maybe that's just what I'm hearing, but it just, it's, it's great. I hear some of that coming out on that. But, um, so you wrote, well, you wrote with his son there for a while. That's awesome. Yeah. That drink song I wrote with my buddy Billy Burnett, who played in Roger's band years ago. But uh, uh, actually, one time I, I was on the road in Trisha Yearwood's band. I helped her put her first band together, and uh, we we're out there on the road and uh, up in Canada, in Calgary. And I called Dean and said, "Hey, man, I'm up here in Canada." And he said, "Well, call call Dad. He's across town, and he's got the night off." And uh, so I called Roger Miller and he brought his wife, Mary, and their two little adopted kids in there. And, and we, uh, uh, we watched Garth Brooks show that night together in Calgary, Canada. And I was telling uh, Roger, I'm, you know, I'm leaving the band after this tour. And he said, well, why don't you come out and go on the road with me and join my band? And I said, you've got a deal. You're on. And then oh, Roger. Wow. Roger got sick with cancer and never went out, never took a band out again and, and passed away soon after that. But, Man. But I almost got to work with Roger, you know. He was a great guy, and uh, I, we kind of hit it off. Yeah, man, I I remember stumbling upon them, them uh, little 45s in my grandparents' bin, and they, they were those red Columbia, you know, little green apples and... God Almighty, he had so many good songs. It's such a such a character in the way he sang. He sure did. And and you know, great producer too. Jerry Kennedy was such a great producer, and he did all Tom T. Hall's records and Roger Miller's and so many great records. Yeah, know? absolutely. Well, Harper Valley PTA for one thing too. He cut. Oh wow, I didn't realize. Oh, Gene C. Yeah, Gene C. Right. Yeah. Well, that that makes sense. Um, so you're, you're writing and you're still, it sounded like you're, uh, you know, kind of chronologically here, you're writing and you're developing a catalog. How'd you go on to do that album? And you, you even had some, you had some charting singles there. Uh, a little bit, you know, it's, uh, it's a very political business as everyone can see. Uh, and I'm not much of a politician, but, um, <laughs> uh, my, my publisher, my first publisher was a great guy named Pat Higdon, and he ran a company called Patrick Joseph Music, and so I was signed there, and um, the first song that I ever had published was a song I wrote with my buddy Will Smith, and Will and I wrote a song called Fallen Never Felt So Good, which uh, um, mm -hmm. that was the first cut we, we got, and, and actually I signed the publishing deal, on that on that song i mean that was my i did a single song deal with patrick joseph music for that one song he's pat higdon said I, I think i can get that cut if you want to give me some publishing and i said okay man you know and yeah 
And he got it cut on a kid named Dude Mallory that Jimmy Bowen produced on Capitol Records. And um, so I got to uh, have, a, have a writing room and an office and a place to go to every day and drink coffee with like-minded people, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was really a great a great learning experience. And Pat kind of nurtured me and set up a showcase for me to, to play uh, for Warner Brothers Records. And, and that's how I got on Warner Brothers. So. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> they signed me for a little while, and I did a couple of records, but it didn't. It didn't really pan out. Well, me. it sounds like they probably got to thinking too much instead of just letting you do. Well, but, I'd like to think that. I don't know. I was pretty green. I didn't have a lot of great songs at the time. I might have had, you know, forty or fifty songs I felt like were uh, good enough to record. You know, and yeah. You know, now I've, I've lived a lot more and I've got a lot more songs, so I've, I've been building up my ammunition for that, you know. But yeah. I, I don't know. I've got a lot of records I want to do. I don't know if I'll ever get to do them. Well, I know um, I have the 1994 album that's titled that, for those who, right. who might be listening. It, but it eventually was released, what I've got is 2010, correct? Sounds right. It's, yeah, come out about... 15, 16 years later. And uh, one thing I noticed, the difference between your that first record and then that one, I, man, I heard a lot of dobro, and I heard some banjo. And I'm listening to that going, man, it's almost like this record was 10 years before its time because I, I think of in the early 2000s, you had early, mid-2000s, you had like Dirks Bentley out with what was, what was I thinking with that dobro um, yeah. Little Big Town kind of had their thing with Boondocks, and I I just remember the Dobro was real hot on those records, and I listened to your to your '94 album, and man, it's got all it's it, it sounds like it almost belongs in in that era with with still got the throwback sound, but wow. that, yeah, I, I just thought I've that was heard interesting. Anybody say that? That's interesting. And well, you know, I mean, my first album I cut with Mark Wright as my producer uh, and uh, and Mark you know he said well who do you want on the on the record and I, and so I said well first guy I wanted was James Burton Elvis's guitar player you oh, know so, yeah. and Roy Husky Jr was my favorite upright bass player living you know at yeah. the time and uh, uh so uh, that's how we ended up making Fall and Never Felt so good in that whole first record but then Mark uh but he he, ran, he started running Decca Records, and Decca um, wouldn't allow him to cut outside projects on it due to his contract. So then I, I looked around and I got a hold of Emory Gordy Jr. and I love his his production and he's a great musician and great guy and it's Patty Lovell's husband, you know. So oh, okay, uh, and so Emory knew all of these great guys. He had produced Bill Monroe and Bluegrass bluegrass boys and uh you know he had patty mm. and and he played with the hot band he played with elvis he was a guy on burning love playing the bass you know oh, okay. Porter Jr. Yeah. yeah i got you yeah and so emory and i made that second album which was 1994 and i had all my heroes on there my fiddle heroes bobby hicks on fiddle and bill monroe came with the bluegrass boys and we sang a quartet on a new song that i wrote with my buddy john scott Sherrill, you know called worn through stone 
Yeah. And, and, uh, that was one of his last sessions. Monroe actually was in a wheelchair when he sang that quartet piece with us in the studio. Wow. I didn't know that. Patty Loveless sang harmony on a couple of things, you know, and I got Jerry Douglas and I didn't really know Jerry at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, He came in and played on a song I wrote with Tim Menzies called the grandpa that I know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it had its, it had a lot of roots to it, a lot of acoustic stuff. Well, the head of the label at Warner Brothers, after I turned in the project to him, he calls me into his office and says, I don't hear any singles on here. Uh, this doesn't sound like any, this doesn't sound like the current John Michael Montgomery record that's out. Oh my gosh. I said, I know it don't, you know, I mean, that's the point, you know, I mean, it's what it is. And, he said, well, whatever you decide to do, we're behind you 100%. And I said, okay. Huh. Uh, so I thought about it, and I, and I, I, I called him up and said, I, I, and I, I love it, and I just want to keep it like it is. If we can, just move forward and see what happens, you know? And he said, great. And uh, nothing happened, and I hmm. had to basically ask off the label because I sat there for nine months without a single, and... Uh, and at the time, I thought Mark Wright was going to pick me up at DECA because he told me he would, and uh, he didn't. So uh, then I just ended up going to the woods and writing songs after that, you know. Well, that blew the record deal off, you know. Well, that's where you, when you start, you said you went to the woods and started writing songs. That turned out pretty good, too. <laughs> yeah, it, it did all right. <laughs> I was looking at, you know, mid-late 90s. I mean, you got two pina coladas could you tell a story on that one when you wrote it well i i I have started writing for a company named forerunner music which uh it's the old jack's track studio jack clement had built it in the 60s yeah and um alan reynolds was a partner at the at the comp at the publishing company and mark miller and terrell ty and uh uh Jim Rooney. And so those four were the owners of Forerunner Music. And I was writing over there and uh, I had a little write session with Sandy Mason and uh, Benita Hill. And we we weren't coming up with anything. And I walked out on the porch and, and was sitting out on the edge of the porch. And they walked out there with me and I said, Girls, we ought to just forget this songwriting and go to Florida. And <laughs> Sandy said, well, if I go to Florida, I want a pina colada. And Bonita said, well, I want one for each hand. (laughs) So uh, I just picked up the guitar and and sang the chorus, you know, the kind of the structure of the chorus, the first line, bring me two pina coladas. And (laughs) and, uh, we had different, a couple of different lines in there than what Garth ended up using, but it, um, it fell out pretty quick. And, I put it down on a little four-track recorder that Sandy had, and she played it for uh, Alan Reynolds. And Alan asked to hear it five or six times in a row, and he said, I'm going to take that to Garth. And Garth just happened to be cutting within a week. And that We recorded that, and Garth had me come in and play the guitar. I played the acoustic on that yeah. record, and, nice. and we all got in a big... Sang, gang sang or whatever you want to call it you know and and sang along with him on that and, and it came out all right yeah i'd say so it, you know those those guitar licks man that's that's pretty signature on that thing i was gonna i was gonna ask you if that was you because it sounds like you 
It is, yeah. and I, I remember uh, I was trying to, you know, make it right because I overdubbed that guitar part. It, they cut it with a band, and then he said uh, he wanted me to come in and play the guitar on it, you know. So they already had the track started when I played that part. And I remember Garth sticking his head in the door and saying, now don't get it too perfect, man. Don't 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 work on it too much. Just let it be, you know. Yeah. And so, and so uh, I, the next one, I, next run through I did, they just kept it. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, you've been a part of a lot of different, really great songs. That I mean, obviously you got the the big ones, the the hits and the Josh Turner. You got the the Blake Shelton. Aside from the well known cuts you've had. Uh, do you have any lesser-known cuts that hold a lot of meaning to you that somebody cut that maybe ain't the first one people think of when they think of Sean Camp? Hmm. I don't know. I, I've, I've just uh, I've just been lucky to have have cuts on a lot of my heroes' records. You know, uh, most of my favorite things, in a way, were things that Guy Clark cut that we wrote together, and mm-hmm. uh, he's really. He was really a great mentor, teacher, as far as songwriting goes, and a great friend, you know. But uh, so anything he cut that we wrote was a was a good thing for me. And I don't know. I, uh, there's 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 so many that I uh, I don't know, man. You, I, you I, did a Guy Clark tribute record, didn't you? Yeah, I, I co-produced yeah. a tribute record on him called "This One's for Him." We had. 34 artists on it and uh, we cut a bunch like I don't know 30 songs or something of, of guys and uh, um, it was a great thing to you know I mean we had Lyle Lovett on it Willie Nelson and uh, uh, I can't even remember everybody you know it, it was a it was a major cattle call of all of the greats uh, especially the great Texas artists that had any association with Guy right or, they were kind of involved on it. We had Jerry Jeff Walker and, uh, man, I don't even know, Christopherson, you know, of course. And As you say Summer. those names, it's just sad, you know, losing losing yeah. people. And then we got Christopherson here just retired recently. I actually got to produce uh, maybe his last pro- uh, studio production, one called The Cedar Creek Session. The Cedar Creek Sessions. They, really? Uh, uh, we cut that down in in Austin and uh and I was a producer on that so I got to produce Christopherson on one of his albums that was a really highlight you know yeah man that's 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 awesome well you you've been a part of some cool stuff I there's a the project called the Bluegrass Elvises how did that happen oh man that's that's a lot of fun we uh me and Billy Burnett just decided to, to put that together uh Dave Ferguson was a friend of ours and and uh Fergie wanted to do it, and we, the three of us, got together and did the Bluegrass Elvises. It's just, um, y'all just me and Billy. That's a great idea. Just took turns singing Elvis songs with some of the greatest bluegrass musicians in the world, you know. And and it was just fun. We had a lot of a lot of laughs for a couple of days. I'm a huge fan of Elvis, and uh, you know, uh, this was in no way uh, meant to disrespect him, but it was just, it was just fun, you know, to play with. uh, that caliber of a, a bluegrass acoustic musician and and playing those old rockabilly songs mm-hmm. with that band and it's amazing how 
they really fit well with that instrumentation, you know. So they fun. do, yeah, yeah. Especially those old ones, those Sun Records and stuff. They, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's it's amazing how much Bill Monroe influenced that yeah. whole Sun era, you know. I think Bill actually influenced Chuck Berry more than everybody anybody well, realizes too. You know, yes, his whole style of guitar playing sounded like Bill's mon- mandolin playing. Yeah, that the pickup notes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And uh. But I listened to that Sun Records. My mom and dad, they had all all of the Sun Records, you know. And I grew up two hours west of uh, of Memphis in Arkansas. And uh, it's crazy, man, because like when I was five years old, I was playing those Sun Records and thinking those are antiques, man. They're ancient records. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, that would have been like 1970. So. Uh, they were only, you know, like 20 years old, and 20 years goes by pretty quick, let me just tell you. you yeah. So it's shocking to me to think back on that and think how recent those records were when I was a kid and how ancient they felt like they were at the time. Wow. You know? Well, I mean, you, you've, got a, um, you've got a way of blending in kind of like a chameleon with all these different bands and groups um, that you've been a part of, projects. Uh, Earls of Leicester, of course, is is one that Grammy Award winning, uh, you know, bluegrass take on Flat and Scruggs. I I love what y'all been doing with that. And, and was that was that uh, Jerry Douglas's um, idea for or who 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 started that band? Well, well uh, Johnny Warren is Paul Warren's son. Johnny's right. daddy played with Flat and Scruggs from '54 to '69. And he played all the fiddle parts. And so Johnny's still playing his daddy's fiddle, the same one that he played on those records. And Johnny and Charlie Cushman grew up together. And Charlie yeah. is about as close to Earl Scruggs' banjo playing as anyone ever has been. Mm. And so the two of them had been making records together for years, just Charlie and Johnny making banjo fiddle records. And they called Jerry Douglas to come play on their record. Okay. And... And Jerry and the three of them decided, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could actually put together a Flat and Scruggs type band and play all their songs? And so the three of them brought it up, you know, brainstormed on it. And Jerry called me one day, one night out of the blue, and said, uh, hey, this is Jerry Douglas. <laughs> you know, I don't hear from Jerry Douglas very rarely. He's like, man, uh, yeah. all right. Hey, how you doing? He says, "Now I'm putting a Flat and Scruggs band together with Charlie Cushman and Johnny Warren and Tim O'Brien at the time. Tim was coming in, and uh, and uh, we're wondering if you might want to be Lester." And I said, "Why, hell yes!" <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so we went. I went over there. We had a little rehearsal, and I walked in wearing the suit, and the tie. Oh the man end of the rehearsal and we played eight bars of uh, can't remember what the song was we kicked off into this song and i had to stop the band about eight bars into it because it was so identical mm. it sounded like i was standing in the middle of a flat scrubs record before i ever opened my mouth you know yeah. those guys were that close so uh, and uh you know, we we had a lot of fun playing that stuff. We played for about six years or so, and uh, 
the last show we've, we've done was September of 2019, and we were kind of going to take a small hiatus this year anyway, so yeah. or last year, and it just all, with the pandemic, it just kind of played out um, like it was supposed to with for us, I think. Yeah. You know? So we wanted to, to feel that music in a live setting and feel yeah. the crowd's response to that that music, and that, I mean, there's no way for me to describe the feeling of that music being um, just like it was on the Flat and Scruggs record. As yeah. far as the solo is uh, as close to identical in the same uh, place of the, you know, placement, you know, the fiddles on the first solo and the banjos here. Mm-hmm. We did it like a, uh, the same order in every way. You know, I, and I didn't sound exactly like Lester on it, but I did kind of always scoop my notes like Lester did yeah because you have to do that with those songs in order for the tension uh to be there I mean that's that's what yeah. that was you know and and, and uh, so it was a real uh, it was a great thing to to walk in Lester's shoes a little bit you know for absolutely a yeah I, I I saw y'all at the rhyming with that and man it was like it was honestly like I was just in a time capsule or, oh, or I'd, in a time machine. That's what I meant to say, time machine. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, that's what I'm shooting for, you know, and that's what we're all shooting for. And in my mind, I, I wanted uh, I wanted to um, to write it into a Broadway-type play and do a thing where there's an act goes around it, you know, and do it that way. And it just never, and just never evolved into that for everybody. But I, right. I wanted to do that, and... Uh, I don't know. Maybe we, maybe we still can someday. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Weird times. I mean, we have to. Yeah. Kind of. Seems like everything's on hold right now. But uh, with all the musical outlets that you've been a part of and created for yourself, uh, how are you holding up in this pandemic where you just ain't nothing going on? I've loved it, man. I've loved this year. Really? I know I've lost some some great friends, and there's been a lot of a lot of a lot of sickness and yeah and bad times here but it's been such a blessing to stay home the first time since i was, was like 16 years old you know really and right. uh, and not have a show that i had to do every three or four days or, or or be on the road it's i've been home i've been working with my mom and dad my, my dad out at the farm and you know Almost every day I'm with my folks, so that's been a real blessing. Oh, and, man, that's great. And I've been able to write a lot of songs by myself, and it's, I've enjoyed it, you know? I mean, I, I miss playing to my friends and fans out there or whoever. You know, I love the feeling of, of playing live music, and the, and the, and you feed off of that audience, you know, response. It, it, there's nothing like it, but uh, uh, in another way, Maybe everybody's going to appreciate it more when it does happen. You know? I, th- I believe so. I I remember, I guess it's about eight, nine years ago, I was, I was heading back through the Blue Ridge, and I was the Blue Ridge Mountains there on I-40, and I was going back to my grandpa's funeral. Oh, man. And I remember riding along there in my, in my truck, and... I, um, I had just got to where I was downloading songs on my phone, um, and I all of a sudden your uh, 
grandpa that I know came on there. And yeah. man, that that was obviously the timing was amazing. You know, it's just on the playlist. It just popped wow. on there. And and I remember just, you know, pulling over there and thinking, man, this is very, very special song from your your grandpa, right? Is that what that's what that's right. that's a personal song from your life? Yeah, it is. I uh my my granddaddy, my daddy's daddy, um, he was sick in the VA hospital in Little Rock and it was I remember it was Christmas Day and I and I uh, he was in intensive care with uh, mm. from smoking cigarettes, you know, and laying there. Uh I'd never seen him without his without a shave you know, close shave. He always tried to stay neat, you know, and, and uh he wasn't able to do that. I and I remember shaving him that day and mm. uh, and and just uh, I had to leave. I had to come back to Nashville for some reason. And uh I had to leave him in that hospital. And uh, um so on the way home I wrote a couple of those verses and uh Within a week, I guess it was, I ended up at a uh, in a co-writing session with the great Tim Menzies. Man, he's one of the best there ever was, and uh, uh, Tim's one of the greatest singers, greatest songwriters, and he does all gospel now. But at the time, he was he had a country career on uh, Columbia Records, I think mm, it was, okay. or CBS, whatever they were calling it, and uh, um. Anyway, I played him that little piece of a song. I said, man, I don't know if this could be a song or not. And so I played it for him, and, and he started telling me about his granddaddy. And, and the two of our granddads were real similar. And he was from uh, Mechanicsville, Virginia, is where Tim was from. Right. But both of our granddaddies wore overalls their entire lives, you know. And, and uh, But his, his had already passed away. So we kind of merged the two granddaddies in our story of that song and uh and i'm really proud of it that song never lets me down you know and yeah and actually my granddaddy got got better and uh i ended up playing that song on the ralph emory show on tnn and he saw me sing it in his little really his little tv back in arkansas <laughs> and he said sean wrote that song for me and so when he passed away a couple of years later uh, we found a, an, a clean new pair of starch overalls and a starch white dress shirt, and that's that's what he wanted to be buried in. So that's what we buried him in instead of a pinstripe suit like the song says. Yeah. But wow. uh, um, so that yeah, it, it always hits me. I was really close to him. Yeah. You know? Well, you can tell. I mean, you've got a the old soul comes out in your music for sure. Um, well, in a very yeah. fresh, relevant way, too. Um, well, all the old guys, the old ones are the ones that that really uh, carry the knowledge around with them, you know. So that's what I always wanted to gravitate towards, you know, the old guys, the old men right. fiddling. And uh, uh, I just always have uh, felt like they, they deserved uh, respect and uh, you know, and uh, they always uh, they always had so much uh, great stuff to share with you. You know, so that's why I always ended up with them. Right. Well, I mean, you've you've sure carried that torch. I'll tell you that. And well, thank you. you know, this 
this pandemic where live music halted has been one of those things where I told that story to, to kind of point out that, you know, even if you're, you're, you're working with your folks down, you know, on a, on the farm down there and, and you're, you're not out there doing shows right now, but your, your music's still working. You know what I mean? Your, your, your songs are still getting played by folks and, you know, music is still uplifting people where they're at. I know that I can say that happens to me a lot. I, I still hear, I hear music that is, uh, it's just the right song at the right time. Um, oh, yeah. you know, and, and your, your music has been a big part of that for, for me as well. And, and I just wanted to, to mention that no, no matter what's going on and, and how the fact that you, you're not even out there to play, you're still having a big impact with, with the uh, music you've created, and I think that's wow. that's pretty cool. Well, that's awful kind of you, man. I, I, you know, I don't think about that much, but you you may have a point. You know, that makes me feel a little bit better about the whole thing. <laughs> well, I I appreciate you coming on here, and before I run off, I, I wanted to ask you too. Um, uh, Lauren Lauren Massetti's album is yeah. just talk about another fantastic record and very timeless that band on that record's been my band for i don't know 10 or 15 years and, yeah uh, and she kind of she came into my life and we we ended up writing a lot of songs and, and became a couple and and uh uh so i started incorporating her in my in my shows you know letting her come up and sing and and man she's such a great singer and a great writer um yeah she's one of the best uh songwriters and singers i i believe i've ever met you know she's one of yeah. the greatest and uh, and she's young and uh, but so she's got a lot of she's got a lot of great music to share uh, ahead of her you know absolutely so, uh, uh we had a great time making the record and uh, she's done well we're just uh gearing up for the next one you know? yeah absolutely well i mean your your band they didn't disappoint on it. they played they played hot on it i saw her playing at the sutler with oh, yeah. with those guys and man it was it was like a lot like when i saw you at bluebird that time it was like hey that's the same sound that's a that's that's your band up there they were they were great yeah she i was out of town she took my band stole my band from me i saw that yeah that's good though. I, you know, I, I didn't do my. I mean, it was. I didn't. Uh, they didn't miss me much on that gig. I don't think, but it was good. <laughs> I'm glad she's getting out doing that. Man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your out of your day to let me talk to you and just just kind of share your story with us out here. Well, yes, sir. I'm glad to do it. And uh, I do want to mention one more thing. I just just Friday we we released a new video on a song that I put the music and melody to a, a poem of Johnny Cash's. Oh, and, that's uh, right. Okay. Just last night we passed a million views on Facebook. So there's a lot of, uh, folks checking it out. And if you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't, it's I, called I'm, I'm coming, honey. That's the title of it. You know? Oh and man. It, it's a poem that he wrote in 1958 on a, a Delta Airlines stationery that they found and uh and i just kind of uh tried to channel johnny cash and the way he might may have meant it musically to be you know right and, uh, 
So that's what we did. We recorded that. Did y'all do that out there? Did y'all do that at the cash cabin out there? With we did, and John Carter uh, helped out with it, you know. And uh, right, uh, he he actually directed this video on me, and uh, and and Johnny Cash's grandson helped uh, run run the lights and the cameras and stuff, you know. Right. So, uh, but uh, it was really cool. Yeah. It's on a project called forever words and you can get the deluxe edition and it's on there if you wanted to buy that album absolutely well I, i've been hearing about it i just I, I i gotta check out this video though somehow that one's uh not well, not jumped on my radar out friday so it's only been out five days now. yeah okay a million views so that's that's better than i've done in a long time on any video <laughs> well it's about to have another that's for sure i'm about to look that one up so that is awesome, man. Well, anything, you know, moving forward, you, you got anything you're looking forward to this year? You think you're going to get out there? at uh, You got anything on the road? The first show I've got that might, might that's tentatively booked is uh, September at the Earl Scruggs Festival in uh, Shelby, North Carolina. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, with the Earls of Leicester, and we're going to try to be – be there for that i don't know yeah. if, it's, if it's all going to pan out but we're shooting for it anyway you know well that's about all you can do but i i hope i hope every everything can work itself out and and people can do this stuff and feel safe and and be safe at the same time me so, too brother yeah well, thank you so much for visiting with me and uh hey don't be a stranger yeah let's catch up anytime well, thank you. Never know, we may write a song one of these days together. I hear you, man. I'd love to. You, anytime. Right. Thank you, Sean. Hey, have a great night, man. All right. Take care, Adam. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.